1 Kings chapter number 21. And I'd like to begin reading in verse number 1. We'll read down to verse number 10. The Word of God says, And it came to pass after these things that Naboth the Jezreelite had a vineyard, which was in Jezreel, hard by the palace of Ahab king of Samaria. Nahab spake unto Naboth, saying, Give me thy vineyard, that I may have it for a garden of herbs, because it is near unto my house. And I will give thee for it a better vineyard than it, or, if it seem good to thee, I will give thee the worth of it in money. Naboth said to Ahab, The Lord forbid it me that I should give the inheritance of my fathers unto thee. And Ahab came into his house heavy and displeased because of the word which Naboth the Jezreelite had spoken to him. For he had said, I will not give thee the inheritance of my fathers. And he laid him down upon his bed and turned away his face and would eat no bread. But Jezebel his wife came to him and said unto him, Why is thy spirit so sad that thou eatest no bread? And he said unto her, Because I spake unto Naboth the Jezreelite, and said unto him, Give me thy vineyard for money, or else if it please thee, I will give thee another vineyard for it. And he answered, I will not give thee my vineyard. Jezebel his wife said unto him, Dost thou now govern the kingdom of Israel? Arise and eat bread, and let thine heart be merry. I will give thee the vineyard of Naboth the Jezreelite. So she wrote letters in Ahab's name, and sealed them with his seal, and sent the letters unto the elders and to the nobles that were in his city dwelling with Naboth. And she wrote in the letters, saying, Proclaim a fast, and set Naboth on high among the people, and set two men, sons of Belial, before him to bear witness against him, saying, Thou didst blaspheme God and the king, and then carry him out and stone him, that he may die. Let's pray. Father, I love you tonight. I thank you for your word. I pray that you'd use it in our hearts. I pray that you'd uh, give me unction and power in the preaching of your word and give us unction in the listening that you might be able to do a work eternal in our hearts. Father, we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, as we've read this passage concerning Naboth and his vineyard, I think that most people, if you've studied through the life of Elijah, you know that down about verse number 17 of this chapter, Elijah shows up. Uh, you know that the plan of, uh, of Jezebel and Ahab goes on and, and uh, how that they kill Naboth, they take his vineyard. Elijah shows up and says, because you've done this, God's going to judge you. And uh, this prophecy, uh, one answer to it, Ahab is killed shortly. But another answer comes 20 years down the road whenever Jezebel is, uh, throws herself down from the window or is thrown down the, from the window and is trampled underfoot. And I think most of us, we're familiar probably with this passage. But what I want to preach to you tonight is about Naboth's decision to refuse the request of King Ahab. You know, I'll confess to you that if you read this passage without having a little bit of background, you kind of wonder why Naboth made such a big deal about his vineyard. I mean, you look at it and you think, boy, Naboth was stubborn. He was unwilling to sell. I mean, that's his king. Shouldn't he want to please his king? And Shouldn't he want to honor his king? And it's just a vineyard after all. Shouldn't he have been willing to sell it? And certainly Ahab was being more than fair in his offer in that he was willing to give him a better vineyard or to pay him the worth of it in money. And you look at it and you think to yourself, well, boy, wasn't Naboth sort of stubborn in not willing to sell Ahab his vineyard? But you see, here's the reality. Naboth saw a value in that vineyard that I think most of us, as we sit here and just read our Bible, we don't see in it. That vineyard meant something to Naboth that it did not mean to Ahab and that it probably doesn't mean to you or me as we look at it. You know, as we look at this passage and I consider this vineyard, I notice that this vineyard to Naboth would have embodied about three different things. 
uh, it would have meant about three different things to him that it might not mean to you and me. Let me say just by way of introduction that this vineyard that Naboth had, it embodied the place where God had planted him in life. And we're going to talk a little bit more about this later on in, in the preaching. But you know that whenever the land was divided up among the children of Israel, God gave title deeds to the children of Israel uh, for certain places in the land. And they had what they called the Jubilee year. And every 50th year, all the real estate actions would, would uh, sort of reset. Everything uh, that had been done over the last 49 years would, would be reset. And the land would go back to the original owners. What Ahab is wanting here is he's wanting Naboth to sell him a permanent title deed to this vineyard, he's asking Naboth to give up the land that God had given his family. Can I say to you tonight that we ought to value the place where God has planted us. We ought to value the will of God for our lives. You know, when the world comes along trying to lure us away from God, we need to understand they're not just trying to lure us away from church. They're trying to lure us away from the very will of God for our life. God has purpose for you and I to be in a certain place and position that we might serve Him for His glory and for His honor. See, I think it, it reminded him of the place where God had planted him. Let me say number two. I think to, to Naboth, he was reminded this embodied the place where God had prospered him. Now you say, what do you mean, preacher? Well, uh, evidently this vineyard was in pretty good shape because Ahab desired it. In fact, through his simple faith and faithfulness, God had brought Naboth to a place that he had a piece of property that was the envy of the king of Israel. You know, I started to think about the, the nature of a vineyard, you know, and it, it reminded me of, uh, of a few things. A vineyard is a place where faith must be exhibited. You know, we're getting ready to do our garden here in a little while. We've got it turned and we've got to disc it and till it and everything. But, uh, you know, last year was our first year. And uh, I, I'm sure it'll be less and less like this as the years go by. But last year we put everything in the ground every morning. I'd get up and I'd walk out there and I'd walk around to see what had changed. And 90% of the time it was nothing, you know, unless a deer had kicked something over or something. But you put that stuff in the, in the ground and then you just wait. And once you've done that, it's totally out of your control. I mean, you can go, you can fertilize, you can go and you, you can, uh, you know, uh, weed, pull weeds and things like that. You can go and you can hoe around it. But at the end of the day, God don't send the rain. And if God don't send the sunshine, it's out of your hands. There's something distinctly in the agricultural realm that requires a faith. And no doubt Naboth throughout the years, I mean, this vineyard must be in good shape because Ahab wants it. Throughout the years, he had seen God over and over again answer and provide for him. This was the place of God's blessing for his life. You know, one of the things the world is trying to pull us away from, it's not just trying to pull us away from the will of God, it's trying to pull us away from the way of God. The system through which, I want you to listen to me, the system through which we approach unto God and we interact with God is the system of faith. It's not the system of works. It's not the system of our efforts. It's a system of faith. Without faith, the Hebrews writer said, it is impossible to please. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is, and that he is the rewarder of them that diligently seek him. The world has a philosophy of you show it to me and then I'll believe it. God's philosophy is you believe it and then I'll show it to you. And certainly Naboth had been uh, operating in faith, trusting God. No doubt he could have, if he wanted to, took this offer, walked away with enough money that it would have met the needs of his family. But no, God had commanded him to have that land, and he was going to stick by it. Same way that God's commanded you and I to walk by faith. There might be times it's easier to walk by sight 
But God's commanded us to walk by faith. And if we'll walk by faith, God will prosper that endeavor. God will prosper that venture. This was the place of God's blessing in Naboth's life. It reminds me this is the place. It embodies the place where God planted him and the place where God prospered him. But it also reminds me that it embodies the place where God positioned him for a reason. In other words, uh, think about the fact that Naboth, here he is, right by the palace of Ahab. Now, let's use our imaginations for a little bit, if that's all right. I don't know that it did go this way, but I know it could have gone this way. I'm sure there were days whenever Naboth was walking through his vineyard and tending uh, his, his vineyard. I'm sure there would have probably been days whenever he would have walked out and seen something had gone awry. And don't you know that Ahab would have had the potential to look over those walls and to see the way Naboth was responding? Maybe he would have listened to the songs that Naboth sang whenever he was working. Maybe he would have looked over and spied over the wall and saw when things were not producing the way that Naboth hoped as he knelt down and prayed and asked God for his blessing and favor. Maybe he would have looked over the wall and saw the kindness with which Naboth was treating his servants and his workers that were tending to his vineyard. You see, he had a strategic place to have an influence on the king of Israel. You know, when we walk away from the will of God for our family and for ourselves, don't ever forget, we're not just walking away from God. We're walking away from all those people God put us there to reach. When we decide we're going to quit living like a Christian, it ain't, listen, it ain't just us. We're walking away from all those co-workers that we're the only Christianity they ever see. We're walking away from all those family members that only come to church Easter and Christmas. Besides that, they don't see any kind of God or any kind of Christ. We're walking away from uh, those neighbors that watch. They look out their window every Sunday and Wednesday to see where you're going to see if you're going to church. God has positioned us in a place to have an influence around the people around us. Now, Ahab goes to Naboth. And he asked him for something. By the way, I think it's interesting if you note a few of the names that are here. Naboth, after all, it means fruitful. And certainly that had been his experience. God had blessed him and God had provided for him. Uh, let me say this to you. We've not even got into the message. But don't sell your vineyard if for no other reason than because God's been so fruitful and God has blessed you so much. We wouldn't have nothing the world would want if it wasn't for the fact that God had been faithful to us. Naboth means fruitful. Ahab, by the way, uh, means friend of his father. And certainly, the Bible teaches us in the New Testament uh, that for a lost individual, and I believe Ahab was a lost man. You don't ever see any spiritual light in Ahab's life. Uh, that uh, the, the lost individual, he's a child of Satan. That's what the book of John tells us. Christ looked at the Pharisees and said, you're of your father, the devil. And certainly when you look at Ahab's actions, he seemed to do the bidding of Satan. He certainly seemed to be a friend to the devil and seemed to always try to operate in the avenue of Satan's benefit. And then we have this name Jezebel. Now, most of us, we've heard the name Jezebel before. In fact, it's kind of become a byword and become a, a phrase that's used to describe any unsavory woman in society today. Uh, Jezebel, her name means Baal is the husband of. It also means unchaste. Uh, this was a woman who, uh, she was married to Ahab, but really she was married to Baal and doing the bidding of Satan. She was trying to influence. In other words, let me say this, that there were some pretty powerful forces against Naboth. Now, a lot of people look at it and say, hey, preacher, it's just a vineyard. But the king of Israel wanted it, so it must have been worth something. Let me tell you something. You know what you're tempted to say? Preacher, it's just Wednesday nights. Then why does the devil fight so hard to keep you out on Wednesday night? Preacher, listen, it's just music. It ain't no big deal. Then why does the devil do so much to try to get you hooked into it? 
Preacher, listen, it's just a little drink. That's all it is. Then why does it ruin so many lives? And why does it seem to be used by the devil so much to destroy people? I'm just saying that if old Ahab sees some value in it, then it's probably worth hanging on to and keeping because there's probably some reason he's interested in A lot of people would say, hey, it's just a vineyard. But here's the thing. It was Naboth's vineyard. And it may not mean anything to anyone else, but to Naboth it meant everything. And when it comes to serving God, listen, there may not be a lot of people that care whether you serve God, but you yourself ought to care whether you serve God or not. It's valuable to live in the will of God and to serve God. I want you to think about three things tonight as we look at this passage. I want you to think about, first off, the request that Naboth, or that Ahab makes to Naboth. What is he offering him? Now, we know what he's asked. He, he wants his vineyard. He wants it for a garden of herbs. By the way, can I say this? That the devil will do far less with your life than God will. God made it a vineyard for Naboth. But Ahab, he just wanted it for a garden of herbs. Uh, it, listen, your life is incidental. To, to the devil. He, he don't, at the end of the day, he wants it, but he's not going to do anything to amount to anything with it. But if you'll give your life and heart to God, he'll do something that matters with it. He'll do something that matters with it. That's all the devil wants. He wants your life just for a garden. He just wants it to, to season his wickedness. That's all he wants it for. He's not interested in providing you anything. So he says, I want it for a garden of herbs. And in exchange for that, I believe there's three things that he was offering Naboth. Let me say, number one, that he was offering Naboth an offer of peace. Now, again, look at verse number two. The Bible says, Nahab spake unto Naboth, saying, Give me thy vineyard, that I may have it for a garden of herbs. Notice this. Because it is near unto my house. In other words, what he was saying was this, Naboth, you have this vineyard, it'd work out awful well if you just give me that vineyard. And if you don't, wink, wink, there's going to be trouble. He said, I don't believe Ahab meant that. We'll read the rest of the passage. He goes on to kill Naboth. And you know, oftentimes what the devil comes to us and pushes us to live wrong and to do wrong and get out of the will of God, let our family live wrong and do wrong and get out of the will of God. You know, oftentimes he comes with this lie. He says, hey, what are you making such a big fuss over? Why can't you just live like everybody else? Why can't you just walk the same direction everybody else is? Why can't you listen to the same music? Why can't you watch the same movies? Why can't you go to the same places? Why can't you drink the same thing? Why can't you just do this? Why can't you dress the way that everybody else does? Everybody else is doing it. Why can't you? Here's the problem. Peace doesn't come from external circumstances. Peace comes from having an internal Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. You can be at peace with the world around you and not be at peace with the Savior and not be at peace with yourself. Naboth, by the way, throughout this whole process, one thing we don't ever see Naboth doing is panicking throughout the whole thing. Even when they come and lie about him and desire to, to kill him and take him out and stone we don't find any time that Naboth said, Boy, Ahab, I'll just sell my vineyard. I'll just give it to you. I don't care. Please don't do this. You know why? This was a man whose soul was anchored to eternity. This was a man that saw value in something that nobody else saw value in, and he knew if he had to die for it, it was worth it. Let me say something to you tonight. If we, listen, if we had to die for our family to know God, it'd be worth it. If we had to die for our, fam- for our children to live in the will of God, it'd be worth it. You say, preacher, is that what you want? No, it's not what I want. I don't want to happen. But I'm saying if it did happen, it'd be worth it. That vineyard, it was worth Naboth's life, and that's what he had to give for it. He promises an offer of peace. Let me say number two, he offers him an offer of progress. He says, I'll give you a better vineyard than what you've got. Isn't that always how the devil works? 
He's always going to give you the next step up. He's always going to push you forward in life if you'll just trust Him. You see this a lot in the business world. Uh, you know, the reality is this. There's a lot of good people in the business world. Uh, but the reality is that oftentimes the business world can be a cutthroat and a backbiting place. And when you work on a public job, and I've worked on one before, I trust most of the people in this room have, you know there are times when people come to you and say, hey, if you'll just be a little dishonest, you'll get ahead in this business. If you'll just lie a little bit, if you'll listen, if you'll just, if you'll just, uh, uh, you know, go behind that person's back. Just you don't have to tell them. If you'll lie to the customer a little bit, it'll make things better. And oftentimes, you know what the the devil's trying to do? He's saying sometimes you've got to do wrong to get ahead. That's what he's saying. The reality is nobody ever gets ahead by doing wrong. You say, but wait a minute, preacher. I know people that that live wrong and and they've gotten ahead. Well, remember the clock ain't run out yet. You remember what Asaph talked about in, in Psalm 78? He talked about seeing the wicked and how they prospered, how it discouraged him. But he said, then I went into the house of God and then I understood therein. He said, their foot is set in a slippery place. One of these days, it's not going to work out. God's going to judge them. One of these days, they're going to fall. Oftentimes, the devil comes and offers a, a, an offering of progress. Our young people deal with this too. I don't think we realize the kind of environment our young people have to live in on a regular basis. Uh, especially those that are out that are in public school, man. I mean, the things that they are pressured to do to fit in and be popular would blow your mind. I'm talking about, listen, I'm talking about things that you wouldn't have learned about in the military 80 years ago. And now in middle school, young people are being pressured to do things and to partake in things. And they feel like if they don't, they're not going to be popular. They're going to be ostracized. They're going to be treated bad. Let me tell you something. Your life and your walk with God is worth more than anybody's opinion worth more than anybody's opinion. Just go ahead and trust God. Walk with God. You say, but preacher, I'll lose friends. And they weren't your friends in the first place. And one of these days, you're going to lose them anyway. You may lose them, but guess what? God will give you some friends that will actually be a friend to you and help you and encourage you. The devil, I believe, was offering Naboth an offer of progress. But then finally, notice, we see that he offered him an offer of prosperity. He said, I'll give you the worth of it in money. I don't know what a vineyard went for in that day, but I would venture to say this. You've got to remember, this was what Naboth did. Naboth kept a vineyard. This was not Naboth the shoe cobbler who also had a garden. This was not Naboth the, uh, you know, the, the brick mason who also had a garden. Naboth's job was he owned a vineyard. And I believe what he's saying, Ahab says, I'll give you the worth of it. What he's saying is this, Ahab or uh, Naboth, if you'll just sell me this vineyard, I'll make sure that you never have to worry about anything else in your life. He was saying, you'll get rich if you'll just give me this vineyard. Boy, there's something about the love of money. It's the root of all evil. Money's not the root of all evil. Money, money has no capacity to do anything. But the love of money is the root of all evil. You know, you'll find in, for every sin, every sin in existence, there's someone making a dollar off of it somewhere. Somewhere. Even sins that we would never understand or imagine why. You know, you look at it, you see these tragedies and, and some person that has a darkness in their soul abuses some child and you think, how is anybody making money off that? But somewhere down the line, somebody was selling photos on the computer or somewhere and making money through exploiting young children and got that fire burning in that person's soul. Somewhere, somebody's making a dollar off of every sin. And the promise of Satan is the same promise the casinos make, that one of these days you'll beat the house and come out all right. It won't, money won't get you, you'll get money. But the reality is this, a man, uh, listen, a man either possesses his possessions or his possessions possess him. One of the two. 
And what he's experiencing, Naboth, uh, uh, he said, Ahab came to him and said, I'll make you a rich man if you'll sell me this vineyard. He says, what I've got is worth more than any money you could pay. I've got news for you. The will of God for your life and your walk with God is worth more than the world could ever even afford to pay you for it. Isn't that the lesson that the Lord Jesus taught us? You remember in Luke chapter number 4 when He's being tempted in the wilderness? And the devil comes to Him and He says, If you'll just fall down and worship Me, I'll give you all these kingdoms that you see in a moment of time. And He says, Thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. You know what He's saying? He's saying this, I already own all of it. Thou shalt worship the Lord thy God. Him and Him alone shalt thou worship. He's saying, I already own this and there's nothing you could give Me for it. In other words... The walk and will of God for your life is worth more. Listen, if the devil made you a multi-billionaire, it would not give you the joy that you'll have if you'll walk with God. The devil doesn't have what God has. He can't give you what God can give you. And so don't be willing to take his offer. So we see here the request that Ahab has. He says, if you'll, if you'll give me this vineyard, then we'll be at peace. Everything will be okay. And I'll either give you a better vineyard or I'll give you whatever money you believe that it's worth. Notice verse number 3, the resolve of Naboth. The Bible says, And Naboth said to Ahab, The Lord forbid it me that I should give, thee, give the inheritance of my fathers unto thee. Now, you know what? If you study the Greek very carefully, you know what that phrase means? It means no. Basically what it means. What it boils down to, no. I ain't going to sell it to you. I'm not going to give it to you. It's not for sale. I'm not interested. But if you look carefully at this phrase, you'll find three things that I believe, three reasons why Naboth refused to give this to him. Let me say, number one, he refused to sell his vineyard because of the commandment of the Lord. He says, the Lord forbid it me. Now, you might ask yourself, well, where did the Lord forbid it me? Well, we talked about it a moment ago. With the Jew, law of the Jubilee, uh, for 49 years, the nation of Israel, they could buy and sell and swap real estate, do anything they pleased. But on the 50th year, all of the real estate transactions were reset. And the reasoning behind this was because they didn't really own it anyway. God owned it. God owned it. God owned the land. God owned everything on the land. And God owned them. And so they did not have the authority to make eternal decisions about those matters. After all, the Jews are an earthly people, right? With earthly promises. And they couldn't make an eternal commitment on God's behalf. God said, no, I'm not going to let you do that. It all belongs to me. I brought you out of Egypt. I redeemed you. It's all mine. And so you can't make this decision. So what Naboth is saying is this. Ahab, even if I wanted to, I wouldn't be allowed to. Because God has already spoken on this matter. And where God has spoken... Ahab, I'm settled. Wouldn't it be good if we could get to the place in our life where when the world came tempting us, we said, where God has spoken, I'm settled. And I will not move from that position. See, the truth is, he's saying, I won't go against the Word of God. You know, you'll find at every temptation the world will offer you, at its very core, is a spirit of rebellion against the truth of the Word of God. You can go down the line. It can be illicit relationships, and you'll find that God has already spoken on that matter. It can be drug use or alcoholism. You'll find that the Word of God has already spoken on that issue. It can be uh, conniving and cunning nature that, that steps on it. God has already spoken on that issue. Oftentimes, there's a lot of things that we, we act like we're in the dark about, but if we just read our Bibles, we'd find out God's already given the answer on it. You will get ahead in life if you will obey and follow the Word of God. 
Please hear what I'm saying. I, listen, if there's something that... If I was to walk out tonight and get hit by a bus and you never heard me preach again, if there's anything I could have echoing in your mind for the rest of your life, I'd want you to have that echoing in your mind. If you'll obey the Word of God, God will prosper you and you'll be the better for it. If you do not obey the, God, the Word of God, it will bring heartache and despair into your life. We cannot fathom how much hangs upon our obedience to this book. Naboth, this settles it for him. He says, look, at the end of the day, the Lord forbid it me, so I will not sell it to you. I believe he went on, though. I believe that was good enough, but I believe for Ahab's benefit he went on. And he spoke not only about the commandment of the Lord, but he talks about the cost of his vineyard. Now, you say, wait a minute, preacher. I thought Ahab said that he would give anything for it. But notice what Naboth says in verse number 3. He says that I should give thee the inheritance of my fathers unto thee. The inheritance. You know what I believe that Naboth is saying? He's saying, no, Ahab, you don't understand. Someone had to die for me to have this vineyard. Literally, this vineyard was bought with the blood of my father. It belonged to him and he passed it to me. This cost more than you can pay. Let me tell you something. You know how precious your life is? Precious enough that Christ died on the cross for it. You know how precious your walk with the Lord is? Precious enough that Christ shed His blood for it. That's value right there. That's a value the world cannot produce. That's a value the world cannot match and cannot pay. And if you ever wonder whether you ought to continue to serve God, just ask yourself this. Being that God gave such a high price for me, how could I dare walk away from Him? And you say, but preacher, I mess up and I fail. Oh, I know that, and you know that, and everybody knows that, because we're all sinners, right? We all make mistakes, we all mess up. But even knowing you were a sinner, Christ came and died for you. He knew who and what you were when He died on the cross to save you. And as such, I believe we owe it to Him to continue to serve God. We have a debt that we owe to Him. We see because of the cost of this vineyard. But then consider, I think he did it also, too, uh, in consideration and out of a commitment to his heritage. He says, I've had some people go before me that have made a way for me to have this vineyard. And I owe it to them to not walk away from it. He says, my, my fathers and their fathers before them poured their sweat and blood into this land to build this into what it is. And because of that, I'm not just going to walk away from it. I'm fascinated with our society today. I'll be honest with you. I, as, as a people watcher, you know what I mean? I'm the type of person, I can go to the mall and just sit in a chair and just watch people all the time. And, and I, maybe I'm weird, I don't know. Maybe that's stalker behavior. But, but I'm just saying, I, I, I enjoy observing society. And I'm fascinated. I, I, I sit and think sometimes about, about various uh, time periods in human society and civilization. Think about what made them all different. You know, people didn't act 300 years ago the way we act today. They didn't act. And, and if the Lord tarries 300 years from now, people won't act that way. You know, one of the things that I think is truly alarming about our society today is the, the quickness, the ease with which we cast off the wisdom of generations before us. You saw this take place with child rearing back in the 70s. For 60 generations, old grandmamas had been raising up generations of children that knew how to work, that knew how to go to church, that knew how to love somebody and their marriage not be based totally on how they felt that morning when they rolled out of bed, that knew how to survive. And then all of a sudden, Dr. Spock comes along. And he knows better than everybody else, right? 
And all of a sudden, now what Mamma and, and Great Mamma and Great 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 Grandma, everything that they had taught for generation generation, this wisdom had been handed down. It had been time tested and proven. None of that mattered because Doctor Spock, he said something different. People quit disciplining their children. People, people quit expecting things out of their children. You know, part of the reason children just are, are just so crazy nowadays—not all of them, but some of them. You know why? You know why they have such a hard time having a grip on reality today? Nothing's ever expected of them. And if you don't ever have no expectations placed on your life, then you don't have any purpose in your life because there's nothing for you to drive towards. So, so many kids are just bouncing around aimlessly because they don't know what to do or how to live life. And all this came, you know why? Because there's whole generations of mamas and daddies that said, I believe Dr. Spock knows better than Mamaw and Papaw. All of a sudden, none of that time-tested wisdom matters. We see it today with blogs. Everybody's got a blog. Do you know what a blog If you don't know what a blog is, you ain't missing much. All right. I've got one. I'm not against blogs. I mean, I, you know, I, I've got one. I think I've posted like two things to it ever. You know, I was, I'm one of those people that like, I have two posts on my blog. One of them is, hey, this is real exciting. I'm starting a new blog series. I'm going to visit it every week. You can come here and get all kinds of encouraging thoughts and everything. And then there's one like eight months later and then nothing else, you know. So I'm bad about it. But I'm not against them. But it's amazing. You know what you have to do to get a blog on the Internet? Have an email account. But for some reason, somebody having a blog makes them an authority on all matters, touching life and touching parenting and touching wisdom. And rather than embracing the wisdom that's been passed down to us, time and, and, and tested, time tested for generations, we'll find whatever blog agrees with whatever opinion we had in the first place, and that's what we'll decide that we're going to do. I'm just saying this. There's something to be said about heritage. And there's something to be said about the wisdom that passes down from generation to generation. You understand that when you take someone's advice that's original advice, you're listening to the life experience of one life. But when you take the wisdom that's been passed down from generation to generation, you're literally taking the wisdom of countless lives that have been invested in that wisdom and have passed it down. I think if I'm going to have advice, I'd rather have advice that has come from 80 or 100 years and from 100 different sources than the wisdom and advice of just one individual that's not been tested, that's not been proven. You know what Naboth's saying? He's saying, I'm not going to give it to you. My daddy gave me this vineyard. He worked hard for it. And because he worked hard for it, I owe it to him to not walk away from it. There's something to be said for stuff that's survived. There's something to be said for that. There's something to be said. Listen, I, and, and I understand we have to be careful. I, I, don't, I don't think that it's a sin. Listen carefully. I don't think it's a sin to sing a song that was written after 1800. I don't think that's a sin. But hey, there's a reason these songs have survived. They mean something, right? They mean something. One of the things, I've got a lot of reasons I, I believe and trust the King James Bible. I got a lot of reasons I believe and trust the. Let me say it again. I got a lot of reasons I believe and trust the King James Bible. I, I, I believe and trust the King James Bible because of the translators that were used to translate. I believe and trust it because of the theology that it produces. I believe and trust it because of the techniques that were used for the translation of it. I, I believe and trust it because of the source of the manuscripts as opposed to the source of the manuscripts for the other Bibles that, that came out of Alexandria and Egypt and came out of the, the Pope's trash can there at, at uh, St. Catherine's Monastery. i got a lot of reasons. But can I just say this? One of the reasons I believe and trust the King James Bibles, it's been good enough for 400 years. You know? It was good enough for the Great Awakening. It was good enough to breathe revival across this land. It was good enough to save my soul, good enough to save your soul. 
I'm just saying there's something to be said for something that's time-tested. And that can't be the only metric by which we look at it. Just because something's old, that don't mean it's good. But that doesn't mean... We ought, we ought to consider when something has been time-tested. And we ought not walk away from it so readily. Hey, listen, uh, the, the standards and convictions and principles that our great-grandparents and great-great-grandparents had, it brought them through trials and tragedies and suffering and affliction like we couldn't believe. You know one of the reasons I love this red, red hymnal? I don't believe the Redback Hymnal is inspired. I don't. I, I don't believe it's inerrant. I don't believe it's infallible. I just believe it's real, real good. I'm just being honest. One of the reasons I love this Redback Hymnal, if you look, y'all, y'all know this song. I know it. Everybody in here could quote it. But, but you, you, you've heard I'll Fly Away. Some glad morning when this life is over, I'll fly away. To a home on God's celestial shore. I'll fly away. When the shadows of this life have grown, I'll fly away like a bird from prison bars has flown. Just a few more weary days and then to a land where joys shall never end, I'll fly away. Albert E. Brumley wrote this while he was standing in the cotton patches in Mississippi. And there in the midst of the Great Depression, his family didn't have anything. And he's standing out there picking cotton, trying to make ends meet and feeling the midday sun beating down on him and feeling the despair of life. And in the midst of that, hope rose in his soul when he thought about the fact that one of these days, he'd be able to fly away from all this heartache and suffering. I'm just saying, I I don't know that that if Albert E. Brumley had been in the field, I don't know he would have been singing, Yes, Lord, yes, Lord, yes, yes, Lord. I'm just saying, he had something to help him get through. There's something real there. That's all I'm saying. I'm saying, that's why most of these songs were written in the Great Depression. Uh, You know, they had substance. You know why people were really hurting? Really hurting. This bubblegum pop music that occupies most churches, it wouldn't have saw people through during that time. There was some substance to it. I'm just saying there's something to be said for stuff that's time-tested. And we ought not turn our backs on it so easily. So we see in this passage... The request of Ahab. He gives an offer of peace, an offer of progress, an offer of prosperity. We see the resolve and the refusal of Naboth because of the commandment of the Lord, the cost of his vineyard, somebody had to die for him to have it, and his commitment to heritage. But now I want you to think about what the result is. Now, I'll confess to you that things don't end well for Naboth on this side of glory. If you could see Naboth right now, you'd see things wound up real well for him. But here's what I want to do with the last part of this message. I want to help steal your minds to the reality of what you'll experience if you make a commitment that you're not going to sell your vineyard, you're going to serve God, and you're going to live for the Lord. Here's what you can expect. I want you to notice three things. Number one, it irritates the devil. Look at verse number four. The Bible says, And Ahab came into his house heavy and displeased because of the word which Naboth the Jezreelite had spoken to him. For he had said, I will not give thee the inheritance of my fathers. I like this. And he laid him down upon his bed and turned away his face and would eat no bread. He pitched a hissy fit. He had a tantrum is what happened. Let me say this, that if we decide we're going to live for the Lord and we decide we're going to walk with God, that's going to bother the devil's plans. There'll be things, there's things the devil's trying to do in your life right now. You say, preacher, how can I stop him? Just walk with God. Just walk with God. It irritates the devil. Let me say number two, it humiliates the devil. And you say, what do you mean? Look down at verse 7. Jezebel, his wife, said unto him, Dost thou now govern the kingdom of Israel? Arise and eat bread and let thine heart be merry. I will give thee the vineyard of Naboth the Jezreelite. Now, I'm going to be honest with you. When you read that, you've got to read it with a voice. Okay? There's a certain voice that makes this come alive. Are you ready? Uh, some of you all have heard this before from your spouse probably. But let me just read it like Jezebel would have probably said it. 
Dost thou now govern the land of Israel? You know what she's saying? She's saying, hey, big boy, who's king after all? Here you are laying in your bed, sulking. You're the king of Israel. Just take his head off. She was berating and she was humiliating Ahab. Can I say this, that when we walk with God, it humiliates the devil. You say, why, preacher? Because people look at our lives and they see that we're not for sale. They see that God gave us something that we're willing to hang on to even when times are tough. That God has given us something that has value to it. Uh, The devil's walking around telling everybody that Christianity, that's all plastic pearls and plug nickels. There's no substance to it. And when they see a child of God like Job walking around saying, Hey, the Lord giveth and the Lord taketh away, but blessed be the name of the Lord. When they see Job rise up out of the ash pile and say, I've served him before, I'm going to serve him now. They've got to set up and take notice that there's something real about it. And it exposes the devil as a liar. Because all those people that they've been taught, you see this from time to time. Uh, When somebody's hard against Christianity and hard against God, then all of a sudden something happens in their life. And they wind up in a sick bed, or they wind up losing a loved one, or they wind up in the midst of turmoil and calamity, and they've seen you go through that thing, and when you went through it, you had a peace which passeth all understanding. Now their life is in pieces. They want to come to you and find out what you've got that they don't have. You see, the devil has been... Humiliated. But let me give you one final thought and I'll be done tonight. Look at verses 7 through 11. We'll look at verse 8 through 11. The Bible says, So she wrote letters in Ahab's name and sealed them with his seal and sent the letters unto the elders and to the nobles that were in his city, dwelling with Naboth. And she wrote in the letters saying, Proclaim a fast, set Naboth on high among the people, and set two men, sons of Belial, before him to bear witness against him, saying, Thou didst blaspheme God and the king. Then carry him out and stone him that he may die. You say that when we walk with God, it irritates the devil and it humiliates the devil, but it infuriates the devil. It infuriates him. You know what it means to infuriate someone, right? It means to be driven into a fury. And I will just say this, and I hope this may be a depressing note to end on tonight. But if you're going to walk with God, expect that there will be times it might be tough. Expect there will be times that the devil's going to fight you. Expect there will be times the devil's going to have people lie about you and be ugly towards you and try to hurt you and try to undermine you. There's going to be times the devil does everything he can to stop you. Say, preacher, what do I do then? Take encouragement in knowing that you're making a difference. I'm reminded in the book of Acts, there's a time when uh, these seven men, they were vagabond Jews, what the Bible calls them. I like that term, vagabond Jews, sons of Siva. And they had heard about everything that Paul and the apostles had been doing. And they, they thought, well, I could do that. All they do is go out and say the name of Jesus and devils flee from people. And they said, I can do that. And so there was a fellow that had devils inside of him. And these seven sons of Siva, these vagabond Jews, they came to him. And they said, I can see them with real authority. They said, we adjure thee by Jesus, whom Paul preached. And you know what that devil did? That devil, it took that, it took that man, man's body, turned, looked, and in that man's voice, you know what that devil said? The devil said, Paul we know, and Jesus we know, but who are you? Whew. That's, that's the point when you go, uh-oh. You know, things have gone awry at that part. But uh, you, know what it, you know what encourages me to know? In the halls of hell, the name of Paul was known. People knew who Paul was. They trembled, by the way, when they heard Paul's name. They said if this had been Paul standing here, there would have been some authority. But you vagabond Jews, you sons of Stephen, you don't have any authority. You know what they were saying? Boy, we're glad Paul isn't here. Here's what I'm saying to you tonight. 
It's not such a bad thing to be in the devil's crosshairs. It's tough. The devil will try to destroy you. I'm not saying he won't. You might lose people you love. Your life might be in turmoil sometimes. I'm not saying you won't. But I'm saying this, God will be faithful. And I'm saying that the reason the devil's so angry is because he sees value in what you have. And he wants to take it from you. He's threatened when children of God walk with God. He wants to destroy you. Why? Because he knows you can be a threat to him. That tells me that it's worth hanging on to. That tells me that your vineyard must be worth something because the devil's doing everything he can to get you to walk away from it. Tells me your standards must be doing something because the devil's trying to get you to walk away from them. Tells me that your walk with God, it must be doing something because the devil's trying to get you to walk away from I'm saying don't sell your vineyard. There's value in it. Look at it and say, Lord, I'm going to need your strength and grace and help, but by your grace, I'm going to walk in your word and in your way. I'm not going to give up that which you've given to me. I'm going to continue to walk with you. I believe you'll be the better for it. God will watch over you. And you'll be if you'll obey the word of God, it'll prosper you. And if you disobey, it won't prosper you. With our heads bowed, with our eyes closed.